Warhammer 40k Book Club members. I'm Jen. And I'm Carrie. And this is Warhammer 40k Book Club, where we read from a crag. This is episode number 40, number 53. <laughs> and this is, we're a little ahead of that. Uh, and this yeah. is, our book is Dark Imperium God Blight by Guy Haley. This is the epic and final conclusion to the Plague Wars that started back with the first Dark Imperium book and finally sees brother versus brother, Space Caesar versus... Tarian. Actually, not any good clever names from Tarian. Please oh. let me know if you have any in the comments. There's not any? Mm-hmm. What do they not call really. him in that one meme? Or they call him Space Caesar? Mortarian? I don't remember what they call Mortarian. Stinky Boy. <laughs> Alright, Stinky Boy, that fits. Sure. Kind of. We posted several questions to ourselves and our on our website at wh40kbookclub.com and we encourage participation in our conversations via Twitter, our site, or Encrypted Vox channel. Spoiler warning. If you haven't yet read this book, go ahead and check out the book and then come back and listen to this post as we're going to be discussing the book from start to finish in great detail. Um, or if you're on the fence, go ahead and feel free to listen to the spoilers. With that, let's dive in. As always, did you like the book? Loved it. I liked it. I can't say that I loved it. I really, I mean, I really enjoyed I greatly enjoyed it. I didn't like it as much as I liked the second book, though. Well, the second, it's hard to compare with the second book. That's it's, true. I mean, this the second book was kind of like, you know, uh, if you're going to, let, let's compare it to, like, Star Trek Two, Wrath of Khan. Great. Anything after that? Eh. Uh, you know. It, uh, excuse you. Undiscovered Country is amazing. It I'm is not even a great movie. I'm not even a Trekkie, and even I know that's terrible. No, Undiscovered Country is good. It's the fourth one that's crappy with the whales. We don't talk about the whale movie. But the third one is Search for Spock. Third one's bad. The fourth one's the whale movie. The fifth one, I can't remember. And I think the sixth. Maybe the fifth one is Undiscovered Country. I can't remember. I love that movie. Anyways, um, you're right. It is. It's like Empire. It's like Wrath of Khan. It's like Godfather 2. It's like that second step in so many trilogies comes out and just punches you in the face. It's so good. Um, yeah, it was a hard step to follow. Yeah, and, I, and actually, I don't know if this could have been wrapped up in a nice little bow in any way that would have made everybody especially 100% happy. I think that's actually the re- that's the only thing that prevented me from loving it is that this was clearly him trying to wrap it up with a bow and be like, okay, we're done with this now. Mm-hmm. And I wanted more. I just want more time with Robbie Bobby. We knew it was going to be a trilogy. And Felix. I want more time with Felix. Yes, but it makes me so sad to say goodbye. It does. And they even said goodbye to each other, which was sad. If if Guy Haley kills Felix in a book, I'm going to fly to England. (laughs) I will start a one-woman picket line on GW's lawn you can't take my felix from me i will like not go i'm not gonna go full annie wilkes but <laughs> i will internally i mean but doesn't he have tetrarch plot armor around him right now or do you think that doesn't I would hope matter so. or do you, i don't think it matters i mean because we know that oh i the other name we're talking about so it's um kato sicarius kato sicarius oh. 
he uh, he, he Kato Sicarius. Um, he's got plot armor for sure. For sure. Tigerius has plot armor. I think Marnius Calgar has plot armor. Actually, that bridges us nicely into what parts stood out. Okay. Were you surprised to know that Cato hasn't gone through the Primarius, the Primarius Rubicon? <laughs> yes. That, that shocked, shocked me. me. I had to go back and reread it. Because I was like, well, that can't be right. Especially since Tigurius went through it, and he's much older. Like, he's not Dante old, but not many people are Dante old, but he's still, oh. like, much, much older. Marnius Calgar is much older. Mm-hmm. He went, we all know he went through, he was the first to go through. So, I was a little surprised. And again, we know that Uriel Ventress has gone through. So, the captain of the fourth company has gone through. It's implied, I think, that the captain of the second or the third has gone through. Cato hasn't. He used to be captain of the second. I guess he's just now, like, the captain of the honor guard. Right. Should oh, sorry. We... I meant the first. Did the first go through? He's a tetrarch. I, I, have, uh, I have no idea. I... I don't remember now. God, now that I'm saying this, I'm like, I would have sworn that we heard that. But anyways, interesting. The fourth did. It seems a little appropriate for Cato, actually. This idea that, no, I am what I am. But then also, like, given some of his, like, I don't want to call it arrogance, but kind of batting in that area. Um, I'm surprised. You, don't you think if Robbie Bobby told him you need to go through the Rubicon. Kato would. I do. But I don't think Robbie Bobby would do that. With his talk with um, the librarian in here who goes through it. And he's kind of like, okay, this is dangerous. Like, are you sure? I feel like he's supportive if people want to, but he also understands if you don't. He's just a good dad. <laughs> just saying. He is Rabute was the best daddy. It's not Rabute. Ever, never Rabute. I will never allow I, that. There were so many little scenes and little like pieces of conversation. So we read this on vacation together. And just the little scenes that stood out. Guy Haley, like, I know that I'm not telling anybody anything when I say that Guy Haley is like a really good author, but he really knows his fans. And he really knows specifically his fans of this series. You know, you know, I kind of got a little overclamped when Marnius was talking to Tigarius about uh, how he feels that Robbie Bobby doesn't like him very much. And Tigarius is like, that's not it at all. He's like, I totally see where you're coming from with that, but that's not the case. He actually places a whole lot on you because you were chapter master for so long. Like, right, yeah, I mean, it's true, but when he comes back in that first book and he was just like, well, we're going to retake the 500 worlds of Ultramar. <sighs> it's like, it's where he's like, wasn't it exactly me? <laughs> like, not all of it. He's definitely the child, the sibling, the favored sibling, right? Who there's higher expectations mm-hmm. because you're, you're the smart sibling. Right. So we expect good grades from you, right? Okay. You're the now athletic you're, why, are you, why are you attacking me? Why are you hitting it close to my home here? Well, because I'm also cl- c- hitting it close to my husband's home too. Cause that's how, right. That's how it was. I'm going to go cry in a quarter. Well, like, or like, you know, like I, we see this with my daughter's hockey team. Like you're the athletic one. We expect you to excel. Your brother or your sister, 
is a little less athletic, so it's okay if they're not excelling as much, right? Like, I just, I feel like he has those, those hardcore parent, you are going to be the best because I know you're capable of it, right? And it comes off as being like, well, why are you hard on me and you're not hard on the others? You saw Dante and we're like, oh, my sweet, precious child <laughs> with me, you know. Well, I mean, a little less. I, I mean, so with Dante, first of all, that's not even his chapter. Secondly, right. uh, Dante's literally the oldest man in the world, in the universe right now. So, okay, so Robbie Bobby's older, but you know what I mean? Who has not been in stasis <laughs> for 5,000 years. And he also bears more than a passing resemblance to Space Jesus, who everybody loved. Yes, everybody, except, well, I guess he's a good idea of what Space Jesus would look like old. Because they do talk about how much he has aged. But when you've been chapter master for a thousand years, bear in mind, we don't know how old Dante is. Just because he was chapter master for a thousand years is obviously does not mean he's a thousand years old. Because he had put in centuries before he became chapter master. For sure. So, yeah. So we're just, I'll just Mm -hmm. go ahead and say the guy's 1500 years old. Seems just a bit. Seems about right. But he's like the oldest living thing next to a Primark. Pretty much. And, but just, oh man, like, poor Martius. That one got me the feels. There were actually a few conversations where just seeing Reboot, and this is one thing that's really, and this stood out in a few scenes, and we'll talk a lot more about this later, but there's a few conversations that he has where he's very introspective because he's having to do a lot of soul searching right now. Mm-hmm. And seeing unsure reboot is that's what's getting me a little emotional because the Primarchs are always like this I know what I gotta do I got a plan I got the skills I'm gonna get it done and watching him like kind of be like I don't know how I feel about like I don't know how to process this it's a little I so those yeah. parts like all of them well, just really grab me because if you think about it you know before he had his brothers Mm-hmm. You know, he had, yes, he knew what to do in his part of the crusade, yes, but now the entire Imperium is falling on his shoulders, and that's right. a lot for one Primarch to deal with. It is so much, and I keep going back to the Chris Rate, uh, the Watches of the Throne 2, when, um, oh god, I can't, I can never remember her name, Jack. I know, yeah, Jack, when she's when begging him to like, stay. And then all of a sudden she's like, oh my god, this is your life more help, more assistance, more guidance. Like, just to see that. And then when Ala- when Alea Tanao says that she sees him just looking like a tired old man. Mm-hmm. I thought about that a lot in this book. Because there's just so much pressure on him. And especially as he's losing... It didn't help that we were on the Garden Island and we're watching the Death Guard destroy the Garden Planet. I kept looking around Kauai and I would just be like, F the Death Guard. (laughs) You guys would destroy this. Although, those are a lot of the parts that stood out, too. Some of the conversations with the Death Guard were just hysterical. My favorite was the Nurgling, the Rodigus Nurgling, that, like, they talk about how when they go, they, like, they're fighting the Plague Bearers, and then they shine the light over onto the little Nurgling, and he's doing the exaggerated creep away. Like, Mm -hmm. you can see his feet going up high in the air. Yeah, I already, oh already kind of had the Scooby-Doo background music going on in my head. Very much so. 
Very much so. And that's hysterical. Again, I say again, like, E. Haley, he knows his audience, right? He just, he knows. Right. It's like, oh, they're going to eat this up. And I guess the Death Guard does really allow you to do that, though, right? Well, yeah, because they've always kind of been a little humorous. I mean, let's go back to uh, Lords of Silence or, you know, um, man, even uh, even like the first couple Plague War books, you know, just talking about just kind of how the Nurglings behave and how they interact with their, like, think of that messenger that came out of that poor uh, Imperial Guard's body and Typhus was just like, well, this is interesting. <laughs> just kind of gets down this and kind of, like, kind of watches it and it's like childlike fascination. Oh, yeah. Right. Or I think about uh, from the Fabulous Bill books, Korag and his giant demon slug dog. Pazoos. And how everyone's like, keep it away from me! And he's like, but it was a gift. Pazoos. Just the fact that there's a Death Guard apothecary is just hysterical to begin with. Well, and when Fabulous Bill is like, oh, so-and-so likes Korag, but everyone likes Korag. (laughs) Of course they do. It's just the super nice everybody loves him right. <laughs> the death guard so let's let's talk big picture this book conclusively wraps up the plague wars mm-hmm. was it successful in your mind do you like how it ended where everybody ends up well i mean so i knew it was going to end right i knew this was going to be like the big showdown big thing that ended it all um I kind of didn't like how easy it was for Robbie Bobby to go down. Yeah, well... Because the fight was so interesting. It was kind of a good, like, tit for tat. And then suddenly mm -hmm. he was down and it's just like, ha-ha, syringe. And then that was it. Uh, Well, they kind of implied that he was letting it happen because that was part of the plan and he needed to let that happen. And But you're right. It still felt like a little bit of a cop-out. Like, oh, it's cool. He's letting Bordy win. Oh. Okay. Which, like, I almost... So, we want to get into some of that with what happens. You know, he gets possessed by his father, pretty much. And his father cures him. And not only that, he sends Bordy's soul (laughs) into Nurgle's room. And, uh... We'll talk more about that later, too. Right. So, but the fact that his father possesses him, in a way. So... If you want to get into that with him definitely being a god and everything, then one would think that whether or not Reboot planned to go down is irrelevant. Mm-hmm. It was always part of the plan that he was going to go down right. and his father was going to take care of things. Right. I, oh man, you know, I, it's almost literally a deus ex machina at that point. That's actually, I kind of thought that way too. I was like, okay, this is a little too deus ex machina for for my taste. It's kind of a repeat of what happened in the last book. Because remember, that saint pops up, right? And even if you wanted to, and I feel as though, like we had kind of said, like, is it a saint? Is it not a saint? Right. This kind of definitively answers that question, right? That, oh, yeah, no, she was probably definitely a saint. And um, I still don't think it was worth killing, but wonderful imperial, guard, imperial guardsman for it though he was such a great person no so many good people died for that and yeah I don't know 
Okay, let's break this down piece by piece. First off, let's talk about Kugoth and Martarian, because there are two central foes, right? They are the villains of the series, arguably. Obviously, Martarian is pulling most of the or driving it, but Kugoth is doing a lot of the stuff in the background. Um, do you think overall, in the grand scheme of things, were they effective villains? Kugoth, no. No. Martarian, I, kind of, I kind of feel bad for Kugoth. Well, Kugoth, I think he realized, so when, you know, he got the call that, hey, you guys need to stop this mm-hmm. bullshit amateur hour that you guys are doing and come help us, come help, you know, great-grandfather Nurgle uh, fight against, uh, who was it? It was Zinchinkorn, Zinch right? Mm-hmm. They, they had teamed up. So, which is the bigger picture. And, you know, Typhus... I mean, say whatever you want about Typhus, but he is loyal to Grandfather Nurgle. So, right. I mean, he was never really that loyal to Mortarion. And I could go back into Horus Heresy days where it probably has a lot to do with the Terran versus the barbarous people. Um, right. Most likely, that's correct. Um, mm-hmm. So, but Typhus, like, he's, but he even said in the first book, he's like, this is stupid to go after your brother we have so many other bigger things to do than to go after this mm-hmm. one guy who happened to wake right. up um so him leaving because he did what he was supposed to do and kugoth mm-hmm. even warned mortarian i think we need to go and mortarian threw a hissy fit and but kugoth had given his word so it's one of those things that he's got to follow through with his word although I'm like you're a demon do you really have to but maybe there are some sort of packs or something where bad things would happen if he didn't so he followed it through but well and I also think he just because remember his whole thing is that he wants to recreate right. what was in grandfather's cauldron and so I think I think there was a little bit of a selfish There's, desire too yeah, there was some of that but I think but I do think he felt like he didn't really want to, but he did. He wanted that for himself, though, not for Mortarian, exactly. Very much so. so he wanted to Very be able to so. do both: do what Nurgle wanted and redeem himself. Right. And Nurgle's agreed. Eyes. Even though he's agreed. the first favored, he really has nothing to redeem himself for. But because he is right. so self-loathing, he feels like he has to do this. And it, I don't know. I mean. Technically, he was successful, right? But I think it's kind of like the whole another part that really stood out. The whole tattle slug thing was hysterical, right? But Kugoth is not the brightest bulb in the box, clearly. Uh, no, because he took a gamble. He took a gamble on making a deal with a lesser demon, mm-hmm. and it really didn't pay off for him. No, but at least his secret's not getting out. He's not anytime soon. There's that, huh? But that is an interesting thing to be floating in the background, huh? The secret that, look, not only can I kill Robbie Bobby with this, probably kill Mortarian with this too. Mm-hmm. Because they share, they share. Like I have Ripu's uh, blood. Yeah, I mean, he kept, and he kept calling him a, a half demon the whole time. Because like, no, you're not a full demon. You're a half demon, which is technically correct. Right. Yes, very true. And ballsy, but he—I I he feel like Kugoth feels like he has nothing to lose. Pretty much. Um, I really liked the play between him and Rodigus, though. Yeah. I thought that was—I have to say though, 
So you mentioned this earlier, but with the whole like grandfather wants us to go and fight Zinch and Corn because they're teaming up. We saw a little bit of Zinch, and first off, I don't, I don't picture any of the Chaos Gods really trusting Zinch, and I don't really picture Corn teaming up with anyone. Well, maybe like, I imagine it's more like Corn is like, I'm going after Nurgle, and Zinch is like, me too. Corn's <laughs> like, sure. <laughs> like, or Zinch is like, you can kill. However many that you want. Okay. Pretty much, right? Um, But that kind of felt superfluous in the end. Because Typhus is pretty much like, look, Zinch and Corn are moving. The War of the Gods has started, which we don't really even get to see other than that one crystalline scene. And then he also is like, look, the War Master. We got to go help the War Master. And we know from Lords of Silence that that's, that's his big push, too, is we're helping the War Master. I don't know that we really needed to have the Zinch and Corn subplot. Typhus's thing supposed to help the Warmaster? Yeah, remember in um I remember in Lords of Silence, after they help Hora after they help Abaddon, they're they're like, Okay, look, we're going now to help with um take over Reboot's lands. And Typhus and uh what's his face? Oh my gosh, the guy who like kinda regrets Dragon. Remember, he's like, shouldn't we be going to help Abaddon too? Like, that's where Typhus is going. I just, I feel like there was enough other stuff that they could be doing that they didn't need to make like this huge war of the gods that will ultimately not really matter to the plot. Is going I on. don't know. I think it is kind of important. Really? Mm-hmm. Uh, especially in regards to the big, the big, big, big reveal at the end. Okay, that's a good point. Which, we'll talk more about that in a second. <laughs> um, so, then let's talk about Martarian. So, Martarian's whole thing, as she's helping Abaddon, as she's calling, uh, heeding Grandfather's call mm-hmm. to go and take down Robbie Bobby, which she tries once, he gets thwarted. There's a second time, gets thwarted. Like, badly. Yeah, like at that point... Like his dad came to visit him. Dad had some words. Dad did have some words. After he decided to burn down the garden in front of the Black Mance. Which is like the most amazing thing to ever happen. Um, But what happens to Mortaria now? Now that he's been pulled back and sent to his room without dinner. I don't know. I don't know what Nurgle does when he's displeased because all we ever hear about is Nurgle's love. <laughs> so I don't know what he does when he's mad. Right. Aside like, from the fact he's going to keep Kugoth in his like you know cocoon form for maybe a few thousand years. Right. Like you're not going to wake up for a, a while, my friend. Um. But yeah, like what? So it's just. I guess what I'm what I'm what I want to say is, is this just effectively removing Mortarian from play? Yes. Like, we've taken the piece off the board, and uh, he's not going to be back for a while because Grandfather's mad at him. Yes. I don't know how I feel about that. I'm not a huge fan of it either, but I'm not surprised. I mean, look at the way the game's workshop has been going, because the books have to follow along with the way they're going, right? You know, they started all hot and heavy with the uh, with the whole Plague Wars. They had a the huge box set about it, a huge other set of rules for it. 
Mm-hmm. And then they drop that like a bad habit when they introduce the psychic awakening and then with the Necrons. And so I'm not entirely surprised that they've taken this route. So I almost wonder if Guy Haley had written this third book like pretty soon after Plague Wars came out, we might have had a totally mm-hmm. different ending. Or we might not have. I don't know. I think we you're might- right. No, I think you're right. And that's, I think that's, and I, it's not a frustration with Gee Haley. It really is a frustration with Games Workshop. That Plague Wars, Plague Wars, Plague Wars. Ooh, never mind. We're actually going Necrons. Necrons are so hot right now. Um, and then they're going to drop them like a bad habit for something else. Right. And then we're going to have to go all in on that. Um, I don't know about that and that just kind of bumps me out that it was kind of exciting like oh my gosh we have a loyalist primarch we have because we've had the traitor primarchs are moving around and have been implied right like Angron gets seen every few hundred years Magnus is moving around it was kind of exciting though that you have Mortarian and like he's aggressively pursuing Robbie Bobby and (laughs) never mind he's going back in the box we'll pull him out later (laughs) grandfather is no longer displeased yeah, whenever they come up with a new model, maybe they're going to re you know, release a new demonic or chaos form of let's see, flip, 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 flip. Uh Lorgar. Bring Finally him, wake him up. Yeah, bring him back from his meditations or Perturbo. Or That's it, right? Does all that's that's still right. alive? Yeah. Right. You could be right, and then we'll just bring somebody else out, I guess. But no um, one, but no one wants Angron. Let's let's be real. They're gonna want Karn, not Angron. Angron. I want Angron. Have you seen what he looks so, like in his demon form? It's not, oh yeah, it's not pretty. Even Mortarian, I've seen some beautiful uh, statue painting, the little figure paintings of of Mortarian, and like, okay, this guy can look pretty, and I've seen some beautiful ones of Magnus. There's no way you're making Angron look pretty. No, unfortunately, there's too much red. Too much red and brass. I, and I think I really like Mortarian. He looks like if you would draw the devil with that pointed chin and everything with dreads. Mm -hmm. Uh, Excuse you, those are nails. But yeah, no, he does. They look like they're dreads. They look like cyberpunk dreads. Let's be real. Um, so, Raider Matthew, as you would say, I have questions. How did you, let's discuss his role first, because first off, I know we joked a lot about this, or rather my husband really joked a lot about this. Um, did you really ultimately see his role going this way? Um, that they're going to reenact, um, the Black Cauldron? Nope. I did not see that. Um, oh, you know, my whole, I, everything about him changed for me after reading that short story. Because I was like, okay, so he's definitely got a bigger, pr- I knew he wasn't done yet. I knew right. he was going to keep being persistent, but I didn't think he would do it in the way that he did by gathering followers, by blackmailing Robbie Bobby. I was like, dude, you got some balls on you. I found that to be so distasteful and I don't I don't know if like I have I would actually really love like if we were to ever interview Guy Haley that would actually be one of my questions that I would ask him is did you intend for this to come off that way with him basically being like try and stop me Mm -hmm. 
I found that to be very distasteful and very repulsive because it doesn't really matter what in the end, to me at least, that you're like, look, I do bring the Emperor's message. I am a messenger for him. I am his vessel. I'm going to save the day. Yeah, but not only did you directly disobey the Primarch's orders and get really good people killed last book, this book then you're literally being like, what are you going to do? Stop me. That's, and I, I, I don't know if his intention was to be like, look, sometimes assholes turn out to be vessels. Okay. Maybe, but. I found him but, to be but so as, repulsive, though. But assholes that do that often don't end up as saints. Right. But like, do you think Celestine would have done something like that? Oh, hell no. No, she would have probably either just gone ahead and done something or she would have, you know, I think she would have been more like, you can stop me if you feel you must. Rather than try it. You want to prove everybody right that you're trying to take over Tara? Go on ahead. I got followers now. They're not going to be happy. Yeah, Celestine has followers too, but she still wouldn't have been a complete bitch to Robbie Bobby, even though, like, the, all the sisters are back. <laughs> Sorry, just... Oh my god. I just had a... <laughs> um, from that uh, text-to-speech with Sanguinoris, which plays the Celestine. That's how I... Celestine! That's how I would imagine what the sisters of battle would do to Robbie Bobby if he killed Celestine. I'm so sorry. <laughs> oh my god. Yes. It would have been oh, a whole... Thing. Have you done with our Celestine? If you guys haven't seen the text-to-speech episode about Sanguinor swapping places with Celestine. Go find it. It's amazing. It, um, will, it will make your day. Yeah, as I just remembered it and like all turning bright red and try not to laugh too hard on the mic. Um, but that's how I would imagine it would happen. But even I then, agree. But even then she wouldn't be like that. Because she I just don't think she so. has class, and that's one. Th- you know what? That's my problem with Father Father Matthew. He has not had a lick of class about him and how he's doing and how he's done stuff. He's just been There's arrogance to him. He's just got. He's this ugly ass claw hammer that's just you know pounding away at the nail. Doesn't matter how it gets in there. It's bloody, it's broken, it's like shattered the wood, but by golly, it is in there. And that's really kind of how I've seen him this entire time. Just, you know, pushing his agenda. You know, it's so I went to Baylor University, which is a, uh, a Baptist university for those who don't, do not know. And I am a Christian and you do not know how fucking irritated I would get when I'd go walking through campus and there'd be sending standing on top of the fountain screaming at everybody you're going to go to hell today if you don't accept Jesus Christ in your heart and that's actually what I picture Father Matthew being like he is that person 100%. and I can't stand this yeah. like you are doing more harm than good you are turning if anybody right. would ever think about converting to Christianity you just turn them all off and you've pissed off every Christian that's around here and that's exactly how I see Father Matthew Right. Well, and unfortunately, like, he did, like, I didn't understand, like, the Cadians. Like, why are you following this guy? And I don't know if it's just because, and that's why, like, part of me thinks that's why Guy Haley really didn't realize how poorly this guy could present to some readers. Because, I mean, the Cadians love him, the sisters love him, and I don't understand why some of the sisters are following this guy. I do. Like, 
I don't know if it's just that arrogance that I do. It's because I am the messenger. It's because of the saint, um, because of what it he could did. Have been. It because of what he did, and the Cadians, man, the poor Cadians, they just want something to believe in. They're that's probably true. You know, they're they're kind of easy pickings. Mm-hmm. For a lot, that's for, probably true. For a lack of a better word, but no, the sisters thing doesn't su- doesn't surprise me. Um, just because of the saint, if there wasn't that whole issue with the saint, so it didn't get out that he mm-hmm. kind of allowed that to happen. I don't think the sisters right. would be right behind him because you could be right because the sisters they would probably do all sorts of like little things to find out is this guy legit or not because they don't take anybody for you know, face value for saying oh the emperor sent me a message. Right. Um, so, yeah. Uh, gosh, I would have loved a gray knight to be hanging around Frater Matthew. Really, really right. would, because he would have figured that out in a hurry. Um, I mean, so obviously he was a messenger of sorts. I do not. I pre- just like that asshole standing on that fountain in Baylor Commons. Don't appreciate it. There are different ways of getting your message across than being an asshole. I don't appreciate it. And I have some questions. Like, the whole Alpha Legion thing got dropped. I mean, part of me, so I was complaining about this. You say it did, but that's how the Alpha Legion do. They just move pieces and that's it. You have no idea what this could mean. This could be something they set in motion for something that's going to happen in 200 years from now. You know what? You could be right. And it also, I hate to say it, but I had to think of my daughter's favorite movie, Blue. Communism was just a red herring. Like, it's entirely possible that the whole Alpha Legion thing was just a red herring. It could have been. And it's also possible, again, not to ascribe, like, Zinchian power to them but it really could be that they had a whole thing in line and in mind for him and then oh god this happened well shit find another one like you know what i mean like they Mm -hmm. could have had some plans and designs that just went up in smoke right so i guess you're totally right i just would have liked to have seen something you know uh that seems just so in their idiom with everything i've been reading about the alpha legion they just it just seems totally within their wheelhouse to just kind of push something maybe it was just for funsies we don't know but just you know to push something and then be like well let's see how this works and disappear that i guess that's one of the reasons i don't like the alpha legion is that's why i love the alpha legion (laughs) i have other questions though and i think one of my biggest questions is like reboot was in the emperor's throne room he was talking with the emperor why why does he need this freighter to tell reboot this message did he forget did reboot leave and then he was like oh god i forgot to tell him this did he need him to experience like did he need him to experience something and then he was like okay maybe now it's time maybe but we don't we don't this guy we don't know i mean uh i mean go back to that short story I have questions before that short story like how do you know how to exercise a demon from a child how do you first off how do you know about demons second off how do you know how to exercise and third why are you considering doing this because let me tell you what the sisters would have done 
It would have been a bolt to the head. Mm-hmm. Like, to be clear. Like, yeah. you don't take chances with demons. So, and I kind of thought, and we talked about a lot of this in our Patreon episode about that short story, that it felt like his cla- his arrogance. Because Guy Haley has painted him as being such a low-key, because he presents as very humble. He's one of those people, one of my favorite phrases is, um, you have to get to know him to hate him. So he comes off as very humble and one of the people. And the more and more we get to see of him, the more and more you see this arrogance, mm-hmm. right? Like, I totally I just, imagine him singing Mother Gerthel's song of Father Frater Knows Best. Oh, my God. Pretty much. Yeah. I'm mad that stuck in my head now. Frater Knows Best. I've had it stuck in my head for three days and I have no idea why. So I'm just sharing it with everybody. <laughs> You know what? I'll Along- help anybody else from the 80s. I have had Richard Marks stuck in my okay, head for three days. Thanks to you. Should have known better. Sh- thanks to you. I have two 80s songs also floating in my head for several days. Well, we got to know which ones. Uh, Genesis, Land of Confusion. And... Oh, it's not a night. It's not an 80s song. Four Non-Blondes. <laughs> I hate that song. You sang it on the boat. Oh, I'll sing it. I hate that song. <laughs> but um, I've had those in my, stuck in my head. Yeah. That's amazing. I've had Richard Marks. Should have known better. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm fairly convinced. And, like, I can picture the video with him, like, headbanging with that perfect mullet. It didn't move. <laughs> Anyways, if you're of the 80s, perhaps you now have some of these songs stuck in your head. It's one of you're the wel- many services we provide. You're free. welcome. Yeah. Pretty much. Um, but, no, you are... You're completely right. I could absolutely see him singing something like that because he just he just has this and it's not a confidence. It borders into arrogance of well, obviously I know everything and I am touched by the emperor and it just feels all I can think about and I think it was encapsulated best on Game of Thrones just because um Charles Dance played Lord Tywin Lannister so well. But what he says no tr- you know the man who has to repeatedly tell people he is king is no true king. So the fact that the guy was constantly, I'm chosen by the emperor. I'm chosen by the emperor. I'm chosen by the emperor. In all of the presentations we've seen of Celestine and of St. Sabbath. Or, or even Ephriel Stern. Pretty much never do. Right? Yeah. So I guess I just find it really distasteful. And I don't know if that was intentional or not. That's Mr. Haley. If by some reason you happen to listen to this, let a girl know. Okay. And he and was if, very well written. And if he was like him. supposed to be distasteful, going back to the short story, was it just because, well, there's a priest there who's going to intersect with my son on this ship, so I guess I'll use him? Right. Like, there were no other better options. Sorry. Okay. How depressing. Like, if you're the emperor and you're like, I need a vessel, I need a... I guess Seriously? he'll do. That's it? Well, he could have gone to his assistant. He was a much better guy. He was a much better guy. And I also refuse to believe that that was the only guy. So, Gulliman... Gulliman's working through some stuff in the Plague War. We haven't message, at least I haven't gone back and read reread the new edition of Plague War where he no. goes back and he retcons it. So I still that's still on the burner. I need to Wait, read. What, so I don't ret- know. What's retconned? 
Remember when he changes from the hundred years to the twelve years? Oh yeah, yeah. Nikki Haley said that he rewrote those chapters. So, so that should be the only thing that's changed, though, right? I mean, well, right. But remember, I think that some of the things they'll change is like in the beginning of Plague War, they talk about how he spent the last hundred years trying to like aban- abolish the ecclesiarchy, convince people that his father is not a god, he is not a son of a god, making him a demigod. Like he talks about all that he spent a hundred years doing all of this stuff. I don't know if you can necessarily have the gravitas of spending. 12 years doing that but that's where he starts i don't know didn't the horse heresy last only 12 years a lot of shit happened in that time bucks. 54 bucks <laughs> i mean um, let's be fair i'm never gonna let that go um it's like it, nor should anybody i say as i am reading book 16 We'll talk more about the Horus Heresy in a bit, because apparently now it's in again. Um, it's, or it's going to be in again. It's so in. It's very, very in. Um, but he starts there, and then ends the book basically having to be like, is it possible my father's a god? Like, And that's one thing I do want to... That was my take. First off, I want to say that. Is that... And it's a little frustrating, actually, because despite having had the emperor basically possess him and having seen, we'll talk more about that in a second, but having the emperor possess him and having this power and this, all the things that he has seen to then still be like, he's not a god. But I like, wonder about that, though. So I wonder if he just told that to Frodo Matthew just because he didn't want to give him the satisfaction. <laughs> I legit believe that. That's the only thing I can think of. He just didn't want to give him the satisfaction of being like, I was right, you know? Right. Um, because, and the only reason why I believe that is because when he talks to Colin Ferrier, which, why are you still talking to this thing? Like, seriously. Apparently that memo, he didn't get that voicemail. He hasn't gotten that far in his voicemail yet. And Felix was so busy fighting plague bearers and becoming BFFs with Robbie that... He just kind of slipped his mind. Oh, hey, by the way, the Colin Ferrier, maybe not. Right. Maybe, maybe not what we think. But when is. he starts questioning about maybe his father is a god and he knows he can't go to Colquan about it because, you know, because that guy is not understanding. Taylor's no. Although he's still one of my favorite characters. Just, just for the fact that, you know, they're like, but do you think he'll lose against Mortarion? And, and he was, and he said, no one can stop the Primarch. I know because I have tried. Like, yeah, we... He's reluctantly warming up to Robbie. Yes, but he still doesn't trust him fully. I could think he's still no. there with the sword, ready to go if he feels like oh, he's going so. to try to usurp his father. And to be totally honest, I don't think Robbie Bobby even thinks that way. I really think if his father stood up from the throne, he'd be like, great. Great. Here's your sword. Maybe. He might be like, I kind of like this sword. Can you make another That's one? Kind of a nice sword. No, I have a feeling he would be like, take your sword. I gotta go I'm take gonna care go of and do what I'm Ultramar. Doing. <laughs> I got right. Ultramar to take care of. Um, you go Give talk me a call to, if you need help. Go talk to Dante about Nihilus and we'll get back to you. Why don't you fix the rift thing while you're here since you seem to be a god or something Just also can you call like maybe two more of my brothers call back Jagatai Khan call back Lehman Russ call back Korax call back anyone at this point like go find the rest of Dorn right <laughs> right 
find all of Vulcan's artifacts. Like, grab all of his artifacts, bring him back. Which is so mean of him to do his science. Like, I I like that they brought that up at the end. Like, well, we believe that they found nine. So you guys, so you have sent your sons on this millennia long, not millennium, but millennia long scavenger hunt. You are mean, sir. That is just awful. And I know that's Gaines Workshop's way of keeping that going, but still, that is mean, good sir. It is mean. I... I don't know. I don't know how I feel about this journey, because I have to say that at this point, at this point, so one of the reasons I hated a book series called The Strain, which they then turned into a TV show, because the main character is a virologist. That was a uh, Michael Crichton book, wasn't it? No, it's uh, Guillermo del Toro and this other guy. I know, but but Guillermo del Toro, he, he directed the series. Right. right, but he actually he helped on the book too. Oh, I didn't. Know he was that. part okay. of the book series too. Yeah. Okay. He contributed. I think the ideas or something. I I knew this. I read these books years ago. I hated these books because the main character was a virologist, and the book's about vampires and like stupid vampires. But the <laughs> More virologist. More stupid than Twilight. Yeah, actually, mm. like I it was a, it was a different flavor. At least mm. the Twilight vampires I understood because I'm like, oh, you wanted to make sexy Euro trash vampires for kids. I get it. <laughs> um, for Tweety Boppers, like I got it. Um, the strained vampires. I'm like, who's into this? Oh but God. they, <laughs> you're welcome. They are uh, <laughs> the. So he's consistently so the whole time he's like, oh, this is a virus. This vampirism is a virus. He is consistently presented with paranormal evidence and evidence that this is not a virus. This is something supernatural continues to his dying breath. No, it's a virus because he is a man of science, which I'm like, as a man of science, after you were continually presented evidence and you're like, no, deny, deny. This kind of makes you not a man of science. Um, Reboot, if he continues to see miracles and have these, like, and not, like, insane clown posse magnets miracles, like, legit miracles, right? <laughs> Fucking magnets, how do they work? Um, <laughs> <laughs> and he has continued to be presented these things, and he continues to experience these things, and he's like, my father is not a god, though. Uh, buddy. You know, so I actually really I, like that he's questioning it. I like that he's questioning it. I feel bad for him. Because you got to think about how many right? thousands of years has he lived with his dad abolishing religion and making a very big point that I am not a god. Only to find... You destroyed and humiliated your brother's planet. You... I mean, that was cruel. If you, Especially if it's like, oh wait, maybe dad is a god. Like... If you were Robbie Bobby, like, I would imagine you would have to be like, why, why did you do that to me? Like, why would I humiliate my brother against whom I had no real hard feelings, right? No, like, they didn't. Like, you chose me because I was the most level-headed. Right. He could have chosen Dorn. Oh, Dorn. That would have been a brow beating. (laughs) The whole time. Bruh. We told you not to do this. Like, come on that would not have gone well either but like you had him do that and now suddenly you have to wrestle with the fact that maybe maybe he is a god it's a lot and i do actually understand 
where the emperor is coming from with not wanting mm-hmm. to be a god because he wants to abolish all religion because he's watched what religious wars and this is a fact right. like, as a christian this is a fact you look in history what religious wars have done right how it's totally destroyed terra mm-hmm. he did not want he wanted people to follow him because he's the master of mankind because he's the emperor not because he's some god that's why he wanted people to join the imperium not because he's a god he didn't want to have that divine influence but he is a god to hold the other four chaos gods at bay that's right which kind of shows how powerful he is if you got one guy against four chaos demons just throwing that out there and i really liked the eldari's explanation that it's like it really doesn't even matter if like by definition he was a god basically is a god now because everybody believes he is and if in nothing else the four chaos gods seem to believe that he's a god then they call him the ananthema they're not calling robbie bobby the ananthema ananthema or anybody else they only call it to the emperor so exactly so it kind of kind of tells you something and we'll talk more about his conversation with his dad in a minute but he's just the fact I do love that he's starting to be like, oh boy, <laughs> maybe there might be something to this because he's being presented. I don't want him. I joke a lot about him ascending to his final form. I don't really want him to become Saint Primarch. No, no, I think that, that would. Do... We're we're experiencing a lot of changes in the Warhammer 40k universe, and I know I'm Very a newbie, so. and I shouldn't be commenting and blah blah blah. But I think making Robbie Bobby making the Primarchs become like Saint Primarchs is going a step too far into Ooh. into these changes. I think they're okay, fine. You want to say that they're demigods? Great. Fine. Because if you want to think about it, they are actually a literal mixture of science sugar, spice. No, science and warp. That is what they are. Chemical so, X. Yes. So they are a science and divine together so right. we'll see the demigods okay fine they're demigods nobody else lives for thousands of years and you know and they just flawlessly because like think about it and they're like tissue divinatus comes out of the stasis field as soon as they touch it it starts to kind of break right because yes it's had a stasis but it's now aged out here he's been in stasis right. for how long and he hasn't aged a day there's some divine work there you especially if you know like let's talk about vulcan and him being a perpetual or how how the primarchs were able to become demon princes you don't see anybody else becoming demon princes but because they already had that divine element they were able to like ascend to full demonhood huh that there 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 actually are examples of other marines um one of i can't think of his name right now but it's in the iron warriors it's in storm of iron one of his top generals one of Perturbo's top generals ascends to demonhood okay so you can't that takes my theory right out the window well no because you are correct that they do seem to ascend a little easier Mm. and more importantly they do seem to be treasured by the gods I mean we really saw that with Martarian he had to really really mess up for Nurgle to be angry at him right and like look at um, Fulgrim. Slanesh really pursued that one, didn't he? She. 
whatever she whatever whatever Slanesh is identifying as today because it seems to depending on what race you are it's different which I find really funny that the Space Marines refer to Slanesh as he and the Eldari use she it's, it's Slanesh she, man. It's she who thirsts isn't that what they call she her she who thirsts yeah is that the same Which thing as that? And I really do like having female representation in the pantheon. Like, I really do like that. Is is that is she the same thing as the Laughing God, or is that something totally different? Oh, that's totally different. Okay. Oh, I could never say this name right either. Seogarok. That's one of the old, old Eldari gods who manages to survive the birth of Slanesh and is worshipped by the Harlequins. Anyways, it's a little weird. Um, so does Slanesh eat the other Eldar gods? I don't know my Eldari history. Kite not really eats them, but kind of like Cain gets pretty much totally neutered. Um, Isha uh, is now enslaved by Nurgle. Um, That's rough. I, I can't think of the others right now off the top of my head. But you're not wrong about the Primarchs. There is a certain je ne sais quoi. And if you recall from the first Heretic, they want those Primarchs, right? Because they that is stolen. The emperor stole from us to make these things so they there's it's not just that there is a divinity to them you're not wrong and i think i think there's that's so many examples i think that's interesting that they say that you know they he stole it from us okay sure jan because he doesn't have control of the warp either well it kind of makes you wonder though right but again, like, is it one of those things where it's like, well, what they said is true. From a certain point of From view. From a certain point of view, right? Right. Because we also know they totally lied to Argyll Tall. Totally lied to him. To oh, get... chaos do. To get him to uh, disperse, disperse the Primarchs. So we don't know what's true, to be honest. No, we really don't. And we never will, because um, the Emperor will say one thing... You can say the emperor doesn't lie, but he made Alpharius, didn't he? Yes. Actually, I don't know if I can say the emperor lies. I think he doesn't tell the whole truth, very much like the Eldar. I think that is very, um, I think that is correct. I don't think he outright lies. He just tells half-truths, and... I think just he strikes me he strikes me as the type of guy who answers your question very literally right right like well you asked if i was a god you didn't ask if i was some divine being that opposes the chaos gods right right like you asked if i should be worshipped right like i i see him yeah. being that type of a per person yeah um I, but yeah, I mean, yeah. he's very secretive, which doesn't necessarily mean make him a liar. No, it just, like I said, like the Eldar, because like, I mean, you look at the history of the elves, since we're going back with the Eldar and all that, the elves, right. through every fantasy I have ever read, it comes down to one thing about the elves, except for Dragon Age, I think. And that's right. that the elves are always thinking of the elves. And so therefore, mm -hmm. they don't always tell you. They never lie, but they don't tell you right. everything either. And that's kind of how I see the emperor being as well. Like, he never lied, you know, to right. Magnus, but he didn't tell him everything either. Which just kind of goes right. back to, if the guy would have sat down and talked to his kids, would it have made a difference? I don't know. Let me get him a hug. So, 
let's talk about his conversation because it gets revealed a little more. First off, did you like it? I thought it was interesting. It was, I. It was not unex. What was talked about was not unexpected entirely, because Reboot already kind of hinted towards some of it. Uh, what was it the second book when mm-hmm. Frater Matthew was saying, "Does he love us?" Or was it the first book? This is the first book. Second book when he's dressing down and Frater Matthew no. was like, "Does he love us?" No, that was the first book because he's like praising because they they had taken apart that clock. Remember? That was in the first book. Yes, yes, you're right. And Matthew said, he's like, doesn't he love us? And Reboot's having to think about it. And he's like, he loves mankind. Right. But not so us yes. individually. So yes, he does. Well, and when Mortarian is taunting him and he's like, oh, did you talk to us, our father? Right. And Reboot doesn't say anything. And he's like, oh, you did. Um, and Raboot even says his father has lost his subtlety. Which I loved. Because I kind of wondered what that was, what that meant. And then you get to see what it means. Mm-hmm. And I, one of the things that I've always found very interesting about the Emperor is that all of the Primarchs have mentioned the Emperor appears to them differently. Mm-hmm. In basically something that's very similar to them in a form that they respect. And he seems to have lost that. So Reboot is getting all these different faces of the Emperor, right? All these different voices, all these different takes and styles and, and attitudes and, and he's thoughts. hearing what all of these different faces are saying. And you can't tell if that's what they're saying to Reboot or what they're saying to the son that they would have appeared to. Right. And I found that fascinating. Mm-hmm. Absolutely fascinating. Having said that, First off, they don't really give the full definition of what's said in there, right? Which I thought was very clever. Because I'm not sure they, they could always go back and say, true. Like, oh. But I'm not sure you can either. Because it sounded like, you know, it's almost like a telepathic. Not telepathic, but like the astropathic. Just kind of like these images that they tried to make sense right. out of to make a message. So you can interpret that in a myriad of ways, right? And he did hear his, you know, his father did say, you know... Uh, I don't remember exact words, but it was something like he did call him by name, and he's like my son, my last loyal son. To which Reboot me was like, your last tool you can use, which is how he interpreted it. It's not what the Emperor exactly said, but that was the impression that Reboot got. Well, right, and he does say something along those lines about a tool, a weapon, a son. Right. So he gets all of these, he gets all of these impressions of it. And that, I'm trying to see if I marked that or not. Uh, but I did. I might have. I think I did. But I did like that when it's all of these different thoughts. And they're all kind of, let's see. There you go. Uh, thoughts battered him. A son, not a son, a thing. A name, not a name, a number, a tool, a product. So all of this stuff, like, and I'm guessing that is probably, I mean, look, part of you has to wonder too, is the emperor prone to intrusive thoughts like we are? Where you get really practical sometimes, and then other times you're a little more flowery or a little more sentimental, like. Maybe, I think it's also that the guy's 
half dead, half alive. He's been trapped for 10,000 years on a throne. He probably can't. This is the good thing, but this is the first real conversation. Okay, yes, he sends messages to people. No, 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 no. As Raboot said, I'm the only person to talk to my father in 10,000 years. He is 100% correct because he's the only person who has been in that throne room and spoken to him and have had a conversation where the, right. where the emperor talked back. Yes. So, uh, And as we find out from Freder Matthew where he's like, look, with the rift opening up, your father is awakening. He is moving. He is doing, like, he's he's healing, basically. This is affecting him, too. Maybe, maybe he is getting more information out. Maybe we can find out more later. Like, I think it was very clever and that we understand a little more why Raboot is upset. But they can always come back two books later and be like, oh, and by the way, he also said this. Because remember, Raboot talks about how overwhelmed he was. And that he's still having trouble, like, parsing it and mm-hmm. piecing through and... So they can always come back and be like, oh, yes. And by the way, I hope they don't do that forever. Or all of a sudden they're like, and then he said this and this and this and this and this. Oh, and by the way, he also gave like a complete dissertation on this. (laughs) I'm a little worried about that. Well, I mean, but they could because when the conversation was over, the custodians that brought him in there didn't hear a thing. Didn't see that Reboot had gone down on one knee didn't even he could see that reboot was talking to someone but that was it so it's very very possible well and like and we know that that's kind of how the emperor works right again going back to watches of the throne when valerian tries to go into the throne room and he he stopped and he can't physically can't he physically can't and we learn later that that was 100 percent the emperor sending him a message yeah just like no this is not here this is not your duty not here have other plans right. for you you're gonna go help my son right you are gonna go and do some other really amazing things but like it's just it's just interesting and again it's one of those things that they can go and fill out as much as they want did you ultimately did you like how the brothers how this all ends up the emperor comes in and talks to robbie bobby I did like him kind of taunting Mortarian. His father talked to you. He's talked to me. Yes, that I enjoyed that. I also enjoyed the Emperor telling Mortarian because they make it very clear that's not the Emperor because he said they said it was not quite Robbie Bobby's voice when he says maybe one day you could be saved, but for now. <laughs> and then he talks over his head at Nurgle. Yeah, yeah. which. How patronizing. You gotta love it like Biggie, like, you, sasses. <laughs> right, like, you might be saved someday, but not right now. I'm talking to that asshole back there. <laughs> For the ones in the back. Um, the fact that he set fire to the lawn of the Black Mance. <laughs> Lawless. I mean, what's better, I what better way to send a message than to burn Nurgle's garden, right? Right. So let's talk about Rodigus's angle here. Because this is something. I mean. Fabian Fabian now has the book that proves that Robbie Bobby tried to create a second Imperium and that he declared Sanguinius to be the Emperor. Okay. There's a lot of implications. I have like two questions about that. One. 
Do Calgar and Tigarius know about this book? I'll bet you not. Ooh. I am willing to bet you that that's why no one is allowed to go. And maybe Tigarius does just because of his psyker powers, I would imagine. And the fact that he kind of is the curator of the Library of Ptolemy. He's the literal librarian of the Ptolemyan library. That's a good point. Yes. <laughs> he is. But, so he's the librarian of it. I would imagine that he knows. Right? Maybe. This was... Do you think that maybe I mean, that's was... something that gets passed down? You become chapter master? You're chapter master now. Instead of hearing your launch codes, read this book. Well, or like, kind of like how once you become chapter master, you get told about Luther. Like, okay, so now you need to know something. Um, but you kind of maybe this is that, like the Ultramarines version of, okay, there is a book in the Library of Ptolemy. No one can ever know about this. Of course, if you really don't want people to know about it, why don't you go burn it? Just say Like that is... I have to say, after having read both Pharaohs or and like, Empire, I was it, like, why does this book exist? Put it under like some sort of chasm of magic, you know, that you just, you can't see it, you know. I don't know how, how that all works, but there are things you can do. If you want to preserve history, I get it. Maybe just don't have it hanging out in the Library of Ptolemy. Also, right. why would you name your library after Ptolemy? Just reasons because Warhammer is about history <laughs> I, I, I forgot I forgot it was about war and history it's about war and history and women folk don't understand if you knew anything about either of those you would understand okay that's true I don't know a damn thing about war or history anyways um, my salty comment aside so I don't know. And I also am like, why does... I understand that Robbie Bobby is very big. I'm like, look. He somebody likes writing like, books. He does. And... They're not to going fair, to trash something he wrote. They're just not. Right. And to be fair, there is probably great value in being like, look. Remember that one time during the heresy when we hadn't heard from Terra in months and we had no idea if Terra still existed and we had to come up with a contingency plan and we started it, but then thank God Terra was still there and then we abandoned it. Like, I'm sure there is benefit in keeping that. But you're right. Like, this should be hidden deep away with like, he should have followed the Dark Angels. This should have been like buried in a basement somewhere and only one person ever gets the key to this to know about it there's a lot of implications like i feel like part of me is like well but it's easy to explain because like reboot was very clear that he's like we're only doing this as a stopgap emergency we don't know if tara is still there like we need to have a fallback point and my father's dream can't die like mm -hmm. he was like i feel like this is a five minute conversation I think a lot of things could be five-minute conversations. I think the Emperor could have prevented a lot of things with five-minute conversations. But here we are. Here we are. And we're but. also in an Imperium where we have a lot of people who are ready to get rid of Reboot in a heartbeat. Yes. And in addition to that, depending on what's in there, there's a lot of information that most people don't have. Because not only will it, it should mention the lion being there, 
We'll also probably mention that Conrad is loose on the planet, which, I'm sorry, what's a Conrad? Um, it will also mention, I'm sure, he's some of the, the stuff. He's one of the nine devils. So he he's one of the nine devils, you know. Um, it will also, I'm sure, mention just some things about the Horus Heresy that might not be common knowledge. Such as? So, well, just, I mean, in general, like some of the politics in play, mm. some of the brothers, probably referring to a lot of them as his brothers, referring to them siding with so-and-so, referring to battles and stuff that people probably have no idea about. Because the Inquisition decided that people don't need to know about all that, so... Once again, right. here we are. And depending on who Fabian tells. You know, and the whole thing could have been avoided if Fabian just asked Tigurius about the book. Because right. Tigurius might have had an open conversation with him. He might have. They might have just killed him. But Rodigus... I don't think he would have killed him. He wouldn't have killed one of Robbie Bobby's historians. Rod Rodigus knew, though. Oh, yeah. Rodigus pegged him. He pegged is, him as very much a Pandora character. Well, you know, and we've gone on like so many times about Magnus and the Thousand mm -hmm. Sons and the whole thing about, you know, pursuing knowledge. And usually right. when the Inquisitors pursue knowledge just to know knowledge, who always rears his ugly head. It's like, Ain't you, boy. you want knowledge? I got knowledge. I got all knowledge. Knowledge for days. What do you want to know? So there's always well, this and that also makes Rodigus's plan a little interesting, doesn't it? it? it Especially yeah. considering they're in a war with Zinch right now. I think Rodigus has like got some. I don't know what he's gotten up his sleeve. If it's if he's really just like there's more more ways to corrupt. If he just has done this just to stir up some trouble so they can focus on this war with the gods. Sure, I mean, it is sure. pretty. Uh, I mean, it was, I guess it's kind of no different than, you know, Mortarian's scheming and conniving with everything. He does, his, he had a huge plan for how he was going to get Reboot where he was. And even then he had oh. contingency plans upon contingency plans and so did Reboot about every little thing. Right. Uh, so like, I loved it when Kugoth was like, oh, did you know that they're going to do this? And Mortarian's like, oh, of course he's going to do it. He's not an idiot. And I already know he's going to do right. that. And I'm going to do this. He's probably already got a plan for that. So I'm going to do this. And he's got a plan for that. You know, just... This is kind of how how they operate, you know. And Rodigus right. kept very much so. And Rodigus kept telling Kugoth, "He's like you're going about this all the wrong way, like with this direct approach." Right. So it's, it makes me sad for Fabian because we always know what happens in that pursuit of knowledge, and I think that's a, you know, the big reason why Tigarius wanted him out of the library. He had a premonition that something was bad, but Tigarius also knows what happens with the incredible pursuit of knowledge, which is actually something that really bothers me as a whole about the Warhammer 40k universe is this it kind of emphasizes their point of keeping everybody not thinking which I kind of hate well I think they know I'm trying to figure out there was a line in there but when Felix he talks about going into the library and about he talks about how in hindsight he would have been he would tell you Oh, I did it because I wanted to help, and I knew that that guy couldn't be loose in the library. But the truth was, he wanted the book, and it's the line is something like, "And thus he damned his soul." I think there's just some stuff that is so heavy, and as you said, when you want knowledge, Zinch is all too happy to pop up and be like, "I got information 
for a price. Like, I think Do you like that- mutations? That's right. How do you feel about a third tentacle? It's coming right out of your head. I got him. Comes free with the knowledge. Um, I think there is that. It does kind of reward that mentality, right? That we don't. We need you to work your ass off to keep this Imperium working. So please don't think about anything overtly or overly much. Um, it does kind of reward that mentality. But there is a very real. And especially with some of these people like Fabian. He has access to knowledge that, like, your average machine worker doesn't, mm-hmm. right? So maybe that makes him even more susceptible to Zinchian gambits. I don't I know. Mean, I mean, this is something that's been going on in history. You know, one of my favorite lines from, totally. from Shakespeare's Julius Caesar is uh, uh, young. Oh, my God. He's talking about it's like he thinks too much such men are dangerous. Right. You know, just very much so. It's like, which it I, which I personally hate because I, you know, even as a Christian, I'm very much with Socrates of question everything, understand everything around you. So that that bothers me deeply on, on the on the inside. Like I would, it's no secret, I would never last the 40k. But this is a, a, a one one big reason why that you're just supposed to do your job, put your head down, and not ask any questions, not look at history. Like, Fabian was going to be executed for having a journal. A journal. That's craziness. Well, because he's keeping history that the the Inquisition or those in power may not necessarily have approved. Yeah, see, I don't don't handle that Soviet Union bullshit. Right. And it, it is, it can very much be like that, right? But it is also really hard when... You know, the teachings tell you one thing, and he's very much learning that some of those teachings are maybe not entirely accurate. So now he has this horrible forbidden knowledge of that one time, that, and it can get spun so easily, right? And unfortunately... And to me, I don't think it's that big of a deal. Now, if it was Robbie Bobby on the throne, I could see where it would be a huge right. deal. But the fact it was Sanguinius, his favorite son... Well, not. and the fact... Again, the fact that Robbie Bobby is so very clear because when he first shows up and he says, like, okay, I want to create Imperium Secundus, the lion is like, excuse you? And of course, Robbie Bobby's like, I don't want to be on the throne. I want somebody else. And the whole thing going on there. But again, remember, you, you just have to control the message. So if something happens to this book now, an inquisitor could absolutely be like, I've seen the book. And Robbie Bobby was like, screw my dad. Don't like him. I'm meant to be emperor. I'm going to put Sanguinius up there, but I'm going to break away. We're going to break away from my father. Right? Like, you can absolutely see how somebody can absolutely twist this message. And remember that a lie travels around the world twice while the truth is still putting its shoes on. I I know. I know what you're saying. It's a little scary. Having said that, it's, oh my God, you know, it's just one of those things where if Tigurus had let him in the goddamn library in the first place, mm-hmm. he might have found the book and then they could have discussed it. If Tigurus was just in there with him, they could have talked about it. But no, we had to just ban him from the yes. library altogether. And now Chaos is just like, oh, a forbidden book. <laughs> well, let's well, And also, it. if you recall, there's the main library. And then there was another antechamber. These are like the substacks. He's in the stacks of the library. Mm-hmm. And Rodigus pulls it down. It's a very 
nondescript brown. Yeah, some plain brown book. So part of me is like, maybe if you had just let him in the library, he might have never found the stacks. You could have like moved a bookcase in front of that. Nope, nothing back there. And he could have just, you know, looked around and, and he could he have been like, oh, that book over there is particularly interesting. It's a history of, like, Ajax or something. Yeah, he... That could have totally, You could have controlled the message. Could have totally happened. He, And then, therefore, he would never have been itching to get back into the library. Right. You know, that forbidden fruit thing? Um, you want what you can't have? Very much so. So, Did, let's... Because I know we're running a little loves, long tonight. I know, but everyone who loves history, did you not read the Bible? I mean, just <laughs> the oldest scripture, <laughs> if we won't go that far with like Tisha Devonatus out there, even if you don't believe in the stuff, it's right there. The forbidden fruit. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, it, since the beginning of time, Pandora, don't open the box. Oh, right. The Sumerians me I can't have do a something? similar. Ha ha ha. Oops. Very much so. The Sumerians have a similar myth. Uh, yeah. Native American, the um, more of the Plains people, they have a very similar myth. South American cultures have a similar myth. It is a common archetype. It is a Jungian archetype of the concept of forbidden knowledge. And the common concept in all of them is that if you tell a person, don't do the thing, they're going to do the thing. It's like that button. They say, don't press. Right. I need to press the button. Otherwise, you'll get space madness. The shiny button. It's like one of the greatest Ren and Stimpy episodes ever. Can he resist it? <laughs> no, I can't! <laughs> so, question then, moving along here. Because th this book makes the Unremembered Empire very relevant. But it makes its sequel even more relevant. Pharos. What? It actually makes a ton of sense. Because it's heavily implied to be Necron technology, right? So, with the Necrons now idea. becoming a big thing. Just say right. Okay, sure, sure. But, so, with the Necrons now becoming a big thing, it's very it makes sense that Call would be very interested in the Pharos device. I think Call would be interested in any device. Let's be real. Okay, that's true. Huh, call gonna call. Uh, first off, do you trust the call inferior hello oh my god what did you think of his whole mm, i don't know that i would start questioning whether or not your father is a god that's dangerous that it's i i think that the call inferior has developed his own little agenda um mm -hmm. we pretty much had that confirmed in the Bel belsarius call novel right and he's like will you please stop asking rebate to be fabricator general and he was like I haven't. Why would I? That's stupid. That would never work. You ask about right. it daily. How? Through the call inferior. And he pauses. It's like, wow, you made the Archmagos over here. Like, pause, shudder. Like, what? I'm confused. I don't understand how something worked. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because I also am kind of wondering that maybe Reboot did get that memo about call inferior. And that's why he went and talked talk to it to see what it's... I could were. maybe believe that because it's kind of a weird person to confide in, right? 
Like, I understand that you don't want to confide in Felix because he's one of your sons and the shit rolls up, not down. And Felix or is very much outside. of... Felix is very... Because if we've, there's even a, a note that Felix is like, is he starting to believe? Like, it was, like, affecting Felix. Like, he was, like, not happy. Very much so. And obviously you can't go to Colquan about this because... No, clear he, and obvious reasons. He could have gone to who was that other guy in his Lictitio Divinatus book club? You know who I'm talking about? Yeah. Um, was it Maxim? Was it Maxim? It was something like that. But yeah, he could. But he kind of already did. He kind of already skirted that yeah, question. But, and remember, right. he was like, nah. But that was before. <laughs> this is now after. Right. But that's still one of his sons. And I, I get the impression that Reboot doesn't really want to big show them. It makes me sad for him. Because it's kind of, it's a, it's a, he has Felix as one of his dearest friends. Mm-hmm. Reboot is still very much alone. I, I think that was my biggest takeaway from the end of there when he's sitting there talking with the call inferior is I'm like, oh my God, you have no one. You really have no one. You have no peers. Because, like, this would be a conversation he would that have in the a, heresy... He would have had with Dorn. He would have had with Dorn. He could have had with Korax. He could have had with anyone. Vulcan. You know, right. the ones, but the brothers not, he was close to. Right. But not his sons. And you don't want to show that, oh, man, like, I'm going through a midlife crisis right now. Like, you don't want to show that to your children right or your sons and burden them with that and i think as you said he knows like he already kind of knows where they feel on this position you he could have gone and talked about it with the eldari but that guy's kind of a dick and doesn't strike me as a good conversationalist not that not that the call inferior is better but i think that that probably well the eldar the eldari would have been like we've Again, I always imagine those are when they talk to you, talk to humans, they're like looking at their nails about their manicures. I really do Pretty imagine much. that. He'd just be like, oh, well, you know, we've always known that. Why are you just now figuring this out? Right. Well, and the fact that his answer was very pretentious about, well, you know, really just what is the nature of a god? It really comes down to belief. Like it was very, we're stoned and it's 3 a.m. in a college dorm. <laughs> conversation right like i mean he really was it was that <laughs> level of pretentiousness and uh, i kind of understand how belisarius call is kind of a he's kind of a neutral third party because the mechanicists believe in the on the saya mm -hmm. and they do largely accept the accepted belief is that the emperor is just the current guise of on one of the forms of him but the call inferior I did like that he was the Colin Furia. That was a very firm opinion from him being like, that's dangerous. I don't necessarily believe that Belisarius Call would have taken that tact. And the thing is, the whole idea of saying that's dangerous can mean so many different things. Right. Like it could dangerous be, to whom? Right. It could be very dangerous for to Robbie Bobby uh, with the custodies who are right. looking for, who, like Cole Quan, are looking for a reason to kill him. Mm -hmm. uh, it could also give credence to the Ecclesiarchy and the High Council of Terra. I mean, there's all kinds right. of things that, that that could reference. Very much so. And I don't know. I think the Colin Fury wants him to stay alive. How is this going to become Fabricator General? Where is that? 
So I'm like, I loved the last Belisarius call book. So I kind of felt like this was them setting up a second one with him coming back to Ultramar to check out the Pharos device. Possibly. Um, and if he learns about the Warsmith Dantioch, you guys, I will fangirl all over the place. I just learned about the Warsmith Dantioch. And he's amazing. He is. I don't that. Mm-hmm. So I'm a little bummed that we wrapped this up, but you know, I mean, it was a good ride. It is a good book. It was fun. Um, we have to go to an old book next because no more new book. Yeah. So we're, so, I mean, we still kind of got Hawaii on our minds and probably will for like a very long time. So Seriously. we decided to go with shark people again because sharks, Hawaii, it goes together mm-hmm. um yeah so we kind of wanted to see what all the fuss was about when we because people really didn't not like silent hunters because they said it uh retconned or changed everything that robbie mcniven set up so we're going to go back and read those we're going to start with red tithe mm-hmm. find out what the difference is and what we really think about it be interesting kind of going back to it but it should be interesting right it should be interesting, and then hopefully, hopefully we have other stuff coming out soon. But we don't have uh, physical copies of the book because it's not available in paperback anymore. So we're oh, reading that one it, digitally. No, it, it is, but I'm not paying fifty dollars. Not for at a price. For not a, at a price. For a used paperback. Sorry. No, sorry. Um, yeah, I think like the last one we saw on Amazon was like seventy dollars or something like that. Which, nah. Which that was used very good. <laughs> right. I don't want it that bad. Not even a used Um, like new. (laughs) I mean, right. So that's our next book. I'm excited for it. I'm more space Marines, but this is going to be a different flavor. We've read a couple Robin McNiven books. So give some love to him as we wait for Guy Haley to write the next Belisarius call book. Or really anybody to write anything new. Pretty much. Pretty much. Um, Yeah. So However, and I'm going to plug this real quick, but we're not done talking about Godblight. We're going to dive we're a not. little bit deeper. We got some comments on the website uh, about the book. And so we're going to examine those comments and questions and go a little deeper with some things on our Patreon. So if so. you have any questions that you want answered on the Patreon, be sure to put them on the YouTube. Mm-hmm. And we, video for this and yes, we will address them and we will answer every single question or comment from from this video except for the ones that say first because we'll just laugh at that and be like haha first and move on we're like welcome <laughs> we're glad that you are first so anyway so you we have listened are. to the warhammer 40k book club episode regarding this beautiful book here dark imperium a god blight by Guy haley be sure to join us for our next book book red tithe by robbie mcniven i guess we're just gonna call him robbie mac though so all right we are an unofficial book club but not affiliated with the black library or any of its affiliates you can find both the vidcast and podcast on our website wh40kbookclub.com if you like this episode please like subscribe give a review and all those good things to the vidcast on youtube or the podcast literally anywhere you get podcasts Don't forget, we also have a Patreon where we offer two different tiers of content for your viewing and listening pleasure. You can learn more about that at patreon.com slash wh40kbookclub. Our site also has articles about our adventures in reading other Warhammer 40k books and short stories outside of the book club books. So please stay well and read from a crag. Good night, everybody.
Nice. Oh, right. I'm all Farious. Forgot. I'm on Hawaii time. Get you some chartreuse. I was also on Hawaii time. There's a lot of chartreuse in Hawaii. There's a lot of chartreuse in Hawaii. It's beautiful. You should go. of the Warhammer 40k book club is hosted by Jen Bozier and me. Recording and editing of both the vidcast and podcast were done by me. The book club questions and discussion format were done by Jen, and all of our music is by Jingle Punks. The Warhammer 40k book club is a Warhammer LLC production. This is a Voxcast that even he, Cato Sicarius, would approve.